0: Welcome to Clark Lane. I'm Mick Jones, director and cinematographer at Filthy Look Films, and this is a podcast where we talk about all things filmmaking. All right, uh, this episode's guest is Steve Weiss from Zakudo. Uh, I've known him going on, I think, just over 10 years now. He's a director, uh, he has the Zakudo company and Zakudo films. And he was uh, one of the first guys that I had seen that was really ahead of the game when it came to uh, content production for the web, and long before streaming was fashionable. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Steve. Wow, <laughs> he's here. That was nice. I remember. Hey, I remember some of the earliest conversations that we had when you were doing things like critics and and. Uh, film fellas and this kind of, uh, when I ripped you an asshole. Yeah. You ripped me (laughs) and you ripped
1: me and now we're, now we're best friends.
0: I know. (laughs) I I remember that. That must be, that's come like, that's got to be like 10 years ago now. Um,
1: I know, it was so horrible, man. But it's like I ripped you an asshole, and then I see you in San Francisco, and we imme- immediately hit it off. Yeah, immediately, first five seconds. It was great. Uh,
0: yeah, we were introduced in person by Phil Bloom, who we both knew, and he was kind of like, "Hey, Steve, uh, meet Mick, who you who, <laughs> ripped, you ripped his film to shit." And uh, Mick, meet Steve. He ripped you now, and he, he sort of stood back and waited for the sparks to fly. But then we kind of <laughs> went out to dinner and have been best mates ever since. One of the things that it, I thought it was kind of like interesting to talk about now, because it is 10 years on from like the first Zakudo camera shootout that you did. And 10 years ago, I think we we're at a turning point in the industry where we had the access to the, you know, it was the 5D revolution and super 35 digital cameras were just sort of really coming into being the norm and a bit more affordable. It's now 10 years on from that. And you know, when you look back at those early shootouts uh, to now, what, what, what do you think? Of, what's happened with the industry?
1: Oh, I, I thought you were going to say, what do I think? I think a shit ton of money's gone from doing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: they're not cheap <laughs> to make. That's what I think.
1: <laughs> uh, that's what I think. But, um, well, I mean, it's like we started off, you know, I saw that, that 5D, man. I, I got my hands on that thing at one point. And... Even years before, Jens and I were trying to figure out how we could make this digital video camera, you know, by like sticking a sensor behind his old, you know, Nikon film camera. But anyway, so we, 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 we got that sort of shallow depth of field, 24 frame film look. Then we went to the big cameras. And now it seems like we're going back down to the little cameras with some kind of a mid range cameras like this FX9 and the Canon. And then you got your Alexas and your Reds up at the top. Yeah. Seems like there's three. There's the under six k market, the over ten k market, and the over twenty k market.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I what th- do you think? Yeah, I, it's it's really kind of. I think even becoming more polarized. That the middle ground is kind of dying out. Like uh, you've got your, your yeah your Red Alexa and Sony really at the the high end of price these two new cameras the fx9 and the c500 have come in just just above that sort of that 10 to 20k mark but i really feel like there's a huge you know there's a a huge divide there was a lot more middle ground in the past when you had the c300 mark ii's the c500 the f55 the f5 the panasonic varicam all of these cameras crowded into that middle space the c700 even it's kind of more of a a a high well yeah
1: Mm. no but now now that what's missing for me is okay, we just had this conversation, me and Jens today. What's missing is you got that one to four K market, mm. but the four to 10, which was the FS7, the C300, the FS4, that died out. Now mm. you have your 12 to 16 with the Canon and the FX9, and then you have your 20s, 30s, 50s, 80s, you know, but we've lost that five to seven. So like, if you're like a little indie shooter, You know, it's hard to jump to 12 to 18. Mm. You gotta be, or 16, you gotta be a corporate maker for that kind of income. So the one to four range seems like it's an interesting range to me right now. You know, where with all of these 6K cameras, 4K cameras, you know. Oh, and then you got your, your, well, actually, (laughs) this is going to be really sad. But the iPhone at 4K is $1,500. I just bought one.
0: Right, you got so, the, the 11 Pro, yeah?
1: I mean, I'm basically sitting right there with, uh, you know, the there are there are 6K cameras in that range. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's like,
1: a $1,500 camera now. I was going to say, oh, in the $100,000 range, but it ain't.
0: So you're talking about that, let's go back to that that 1 to 4K range, Mark. It, that's your kind of DSLR, uh, your A7s, your um,
1: Canon. 1H. Yeah
0: that the new stuff like that, you know, that's, you're really getting, uh, those cameras are becoming a lot more capable than they were. And they're the quality of the codecs and the image out of them, and you can shoot log and all that stuff. So they're actually image wise becoming, you know, a lot more high end than the first generation, few generations of DSLRs.
1: Oh yeah. I mean that, that SH one, if you shot with an epic or that SH one, I don't, you know, if you master that camera, it's a little, you know, small, you know, but, if you can master it, it's kind of going back to the 2012. Uh, you know, we said any of these cameras could look good. But no, if you master that SH-1, it could look like an Epic. Yeah. You know, it is a 6K camera. It is clean. It has an excellent Kodak. You know, it may just be kind of small and not ergonomically what you're looking for if you're doing a $30 million movie, of course. But that thing literally can look as good as any camera out there. I've seen it, and it's impressive. Yeah, and it does raw. I saw yeah. some
0: of that footage that uh, when you guys on your uh, show had uh, the filmmaker who was doing shooting the plate footage for uh, visual effects, and he went took it out into the desert and stuff. And you know, image-wise, they can be cut in with almost anything. And like you said, practically though, on a shoot, maybe if you're doing documentary, I,
1: mean, I, I can gorilla hold that, and and we have ways of slapping it on your shoulder, which we're going to be introducing new ways. But we've had ways that have existed where I go. Gorilla style on my shoulder, super light. Uh, I don't know, man. I might damn well do a documentary with that. I'll shoot the sound. I'm going to have a double system anyways. I'm, I'm never going without a sound dude. Yeah. So he can just work to deal with the sounds. So I don't need any connection to that guy. Why is that camera? You know, I used to say this XLR complaint all the time, but really I never used them anyways. Hmm.
0: Well, I find that I use them on say, uh, interview shoots. I like, I've done a lot of stuff for the documentaries related stuff for, um, yeah, for shows. True. And then when you've got a sit down interview and you just want to plug in and it's on a tripod and all that kind of well, stuff, it's just easy.
1: That camera does has, two, it does have two XLR inputs.
0: Oh really? Okay. I didn't know that.
1: I think it does.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I know. I that, mean like, it's like there it's, it's literally, I mean, you know me, I'm kind of weird. I use my iPhone. It's, it's, it has the image stabilization. It has this sort of intelligent photography thing, they call it, where it just evens everything. I mean, just everything looks great out of that thing. And it's like, we have to do these kind of quick videos. You know, I'm, I'm just like, you start getting out of camera, it takes so long and all this stuff, I'll just use that damn iPhone. It's for social media, but that's for that purpose. But you know, if I'm shooting a documentary, I'm not using my iPhone, but I might use one of these cameras in the one to four range for me, because I like to run and gun lightly. How about
0: you? Well, yeah, I mean, I actually really used to enjoy using the small light cameras, and and I've shot a lot of stuff that's still, you know, on the early DSLR days. I came from, before that, I was using the HVX200, and then the, you know, the the DSLRs hit, and I kind of swung around to those, because the image I could get out of them, I really liked. Then I, you know, about seven years ago, I got the the sony f55 uh super 35 camera and that's been a workhorse for me ever since but it's a bit little bulkier and it's not as easy to do run and gun or you know for for documentary stuff i like the smaller form factor i like if it's you know run run and gun and uh you need to be light and and mobile the dslrs and well the c100 mark ii was kind of a really good one for me i've got one of those as well but this new uh new range of cameras that are that are out now with the With the codec inside like the panasonic that you just talked about um they're really kind and even the the black magic one kind of interests me for that as well if it's got a decent codec inside and you've got that small form factor you can travel with it you can get it going really quick um compared to i mean it's gonna
1: look as good as anything yeah i really don't think that there's that much different i mean yeah when you start going into the um anamorphics and all that (laughs) now the video that we saw for that sh1 had anamorphics and everything my god it looked like something i'd watch on netflix or in a movie theater It was perfectly fine i mean there's no one can say anymore that they can't make how you know this guy made a comment at the end of our light and shadow video he goes hollywood doesn't give a damn what camera you use but the difference now is is i don't think hollywood could tell what camera you used
0: well this is this brings me to the next point and I think yeah that was relevant 7 years ago when we did the 2012 shootout and we got I in the know. theater and we had the that same scene was filmed with if if anyone's listening you should check out the 2012 uh, Zakudo Great Camera shootout where uh, Bruce Logan sort of ran the whole thing and then there was like 10 DPs who sh- each shot the same scene with a different camera ranging from an iphone to an fs100 all the way up to a c300 then a red and a Alexa, and the same Alexa, se- yeah. yeah and the same scene was shot and it projected in theaters and then it was interesting to see what people it was like a blind uh test where they could just well not blind test but not knowing what the each camera was people would say which one they liked the image out of and It really went across the range, didn't it? I mean, there was a few surprising kind of answers. It did, but
1: the difference, but there were differences. Of course. My point now is, is I don't think there are differences. I mean, these things, you're all shooting them, you know, raw or close to raw. You're shooting them log. We didn't have all these log capabilities back then. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like you're just getting this palette to paint on. Yeah, You know, so I don't, you know, and the resolution of the palettes are all the same. Now, the type of glass you put on the thing is really the game. Yeah, You know, because you could, I mean, I, I will shoot two scenes, pick me two cameras, we'll shoot the same scene with two cameras. I guarantee you if one's a thousand and one's 80,000, you will not see the difference.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree. And it's, it's interesting. And, and you're in coloring. Totally. Color timing.
0: It's uh, interesting now that with this, the resolution race is kind of like, I think we're there, you know, when we're talking about 6K, 4K, 6K and 8K (laughs) sensors, what uh, we had Glenn from Digital Logic on uh, one of the other episodes and people are wanting to now lenses and filtration to knock the edge off it because it's so damn crisp and so sharp. They want to bring some some analog kind of character back to it, which is I've always been a fan of. I've, I like using my old Zeiss uh, Nikon mount uh, lenses because they've just got a bit of funky character to them. And I think now that's, we're seeing the popularity of these rehoused old like uh, contact lenses and, and people using filtration. I use a uh, uh, 8th Black Pro Mist on the front of my 4K camera a lot just to take that edge off a little, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite filter, 8th Black Pro or 8th White Pro and or like a soft effects, uh, you know, half. I mean, I, you know, it's weird, though. I don't know how these filters are going to work with this sort of... I, I haven't tried it with, you know, we did it to, like you said, when but we could see. You know, now you're knocking it off the log image. Is it gonna add some kind of weird texture to it? Maybe so, maybe that's cool. I gotta experiment with that. But I agree, you know I mean? It's like, at this point, it's, it's up to your colorist and, you know, how you light. And, but I mean, none of these things change the camera. Those are still skills, lenses, lighting, and color timing. Those are two skills and how much money you can throw at optics. Right. Or rent optics. I would tell people, rent optics. Man, you you need a $40,000 lens to get a certain look you want, just rent it. Yeah. Don't try to buy it.
0: Well, like you said, you can stick that on the front of any of these cameras now and get a really a really deep image too that you can really push around a lot in post. And like you said, with the color grading and, you, and and the accessibility of that now as well. With with software like DaVinci Resolve available for free that is absolute high-end quality, you've got – everyone has accessibility to treat these images, uh, you know, and really push it around in post with the with the new codex and the fatter codex. We never used to really have – sure, we had the large sensor, but we didn't have – like you said, log, even in cameras like I used in the 2012 shootout, that was the FS100. It didn't even have a log mode. That was just kind of dialing in a look. It was still a little crunchy. Um, but now we've got a lot more, a lot more options. And this is sort of... Gray
1: palette, of, man. Yeah, Gray palette. Maybe I'm going to trademark that. Yeah. <laughs> gray palette. That's yeah. all you're getting is a big old gray palette. It's a dynamic range chart of your scene, And then you go... And you add color now where people are saying, Oh, yeah, but you know, it takes me so long doing the color timing. I'm like, Well, yeah, you're not a professional color timer. Okay. That that will, that will, you know, either you go to a guy like that if you want a particular look, or it may take you more time. But so what? You're going to get where you want with this low cost product. It's going to look literally could look again, goes back to lighting and talent, could look as good as using the best camera in the world.
0: Yeah, I I find that, um, you know, when you when you start talking about choosing the right camera for the right job, whether you, you know, should own one now, or a lot of people are like sort of holding back on seeing that they're like, oh, there's a lot of new cameras out now. How much do I want to spend? What kind of work am I doing? And do I want to buy? I, I always own at least one camera because I want to be able to just t- take a job on and have something that's versatile and I can go use it. Sure, I'll rent in certain cameras for certain jobs, but I think now, sort of more than ever, there's so much choice out there. Um, you know, for getting the right camera for for the right job. What would you would you recommend people buy or rent a camera at this point, or what would you say is some of the well, most well? It's a good
1: topic. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't pay to rent a camera because I mean, if you can't, you know, if you, if you can fork out a couple thousand dollars and get one of you know, you know, you have that you know one to three thousand range. There's cameras in there. And then the three to six range, whose cameras in there. Pick one of those things, master it. Now you think I would get yourself, you know, a few optics that work for you, and then that's the item that if you're going to shoot a film, you want to rent. You want a super duper anamorphic look, or if you want to have a zoom lens, which can kind of cut time down. Uh, You know, a high end one with super good optics. Then I would say, yeah, that's the item I would rent. I think lenses are rentable these days, and cameras are cheap enough to buy.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that 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 you know any of those cameras that we talked about before are now hitting the stage where they're actually they're not very limited. They're quite versatile. Like even even like you said, the Panasonic and the Blackmagic, they both will do anamorphic mode on those. So if you do want well, to I rent think many
1: of them, well, yeah. Oh yeah. Many of them you can wait. Can't you do a squeeze on like the a seven? Uh,
0: don't, I didn't think you could on the a seven, but,
1: um, Oh, okay. You, yeah. Uh, several of them do it. I mean, you know, you got to get an adapter, you know, obviously to put a PL on there, but, um, I know that the, uh, uh, the, the, sorry. the, a-
0: the uh, Atlas, yeah. There's a lot of kids there. There's the Atlas Anamorphics, Um, they come in an EF mount option as well, so you can actually not even run an adapter, and you can uh, put that on the front of an uh, EF camera, like the uh, the new C500. Uh,
1: Mark yeah, 10. but the problem with that is that. Well, okay, that's camera fine, but the, the problem is is you know some of these camera bodies are pretty. Um, uh small, you know, where I wouldn't want to be having a heavy lens unless you had lens support. Yeah. You know, so you're not you're not really damaging your your EF mount, which is essentially, you know, it's crappy mount. I mean, you know, it's made for photo lenses. Although I do believe I don't remember now, I think the Panasonic camera, one of them has the actual the bayonet that Canon makes, which is, it greatly improves, I'm going to move away from these kids here. Yeah. Uh, that greatly appro- improves the, uh, uh, lockable nature of that lens. It's so worth
0: it. Yeah, so that's an option on the new uh, Canon uh, C500 Mark II. You can take the native EF mount or you can go for the locking EF mount or a PL mount. And that new locking EF mount looks really good. And they do they do that on the Sony as well. They, that has a, an option for a locking EF mount. Which looks oh, a lot that more thing's amazing. I mean, solid. it's a bayonet. You know, it's like
1: you're getting back to a B4 mount or a Piyama. you got to have a bayonet to really be able to crank it turns down with wedges that really you know brings that in as opposed to just locking something in and it just kind of wiggles in there besides that I don't know what <laughs> I mean those the photo lenses are they're not the greatest quality you know mm. but again they're perfectly fine for most of your shooting it's just if you want if you have some really interesting effect type stuff you want to do then then you can run one it's an option out there if you want to zoom yeah, well, oh,
0: the, the the new uh, breed of cameras that we've just seen come out uh, at IBC have face tracking autofocus, in which um you that's where they can take make use of those DSR uh, photography lenses because they have the autofocus in. So, well, you can put one of those on a uh, on say the Canon C five hundred, chuck it on a gimbal, and you can do. Uh, you know, steady cam tracking shots, uh, with, and let the autofocus track the face. Um, so you're not having to mount, uh, remote follow focus on there. And that, that's sort of a, I can see that being a really popular, especially for vehicle stuff and walk and talk kind of stuff.
1: Oh, totally. Are you getting that autofocus? And that's a big topic, you know, that, um, I remember when I had a video camera in the eighties, you know, like those stupid ones you put on your shoulder. Yeah. Those those had autofocus, and it was pretty good. You know, it's like so. It's like we have kind of gotten away from this autofocus concept, and um, I think that that is uh, is you can do some really impressive shots. I've seen where you're tracking, and you know things come really close to the lens. I mean, you know, it's like an iPhone. Now, you yeah. know? <laughs> basically, that's when i have turned into my iPhone. Well, but then- no, I, I yeah
0: the um what the the new launch videos that apple are making and they're actually shooting those commercials with the iphone i believe so that they, they're actually oh
1: of course f- they That's are it's just
0: um yeah, yeah pretty incredible
1: it's 4K. yeah it's 4k again now now what what's lacking i haven't got my new phone yet um but i they claim that it has some sort of a depth of field portrait mode in video now but i haven't seen it. Right. I
0: haven't right, seen that. I, I've known about it in photography, but not in video.
1: Right. But I mean, the so, so the getting the shallower depth of field with, you know, a microscopic sensor is an issue. And, you know, I mean, look, I use my iPhone to do a lot of social media videos because it's the right tool for the right job, you know. Um, but you don't, like I said, it's not, everything is basically wide. You now have this 2X mode. I wish it had an 8X mode. And then, it's game over, man. I'm going to take my phone and just, I'm going to just, you're doing a documentary wherever you are. You yeah,
0: know? right. It's in your pocket <laughs> all the time, and you've got that quality available if you need it, you know.
1: Oh, I've seen somebody, I'm sitting in the park right now. I see, I see three interesting people. I'll let them go up and interview. I'll yeah. just be like, and I have a, a, a <laughs> mic that sticks right out. I have a tech mic that sticks right in my phone, and I can put it on the person, and the sound is amazing. I've actually found a way to rig my shankin' mic into my phone. Right. <laughs> just you know those Shanking lobs that yeah. I'm in love with? Yeah, yeah. It costs 11. Oh, my God. Now you get that beautiful, really good sound, and you're recording it at, what, like 46? You know, it's it's amazing. So you know, it's just you
0: got, yeah. so I was going to say, speaking of these social media videos that you're doing and the iPhone's really good for it, what do you, you know, this, now there's all, all these new aspect ratios. You've got your vertical 9 by 16, your vertical 5 by 4, your 1 by 1, your 4 by 3. Plus, you've still got. I mean, it all sounds
1: sexual to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, you, do you, I know, I hear a lot of people complaining about it. Do you embrace it? You know, what do you think about that when you've got a, all these new delivery formats?
1: Oh, God. Well, people one time, well, not one time, many times, people have said to me, oh, I love the shooting. I'm like, what do you need to shoot 4K for when we were shooting 1080 when the deliverable's 1080? But they're like, oh, well, you know, I like that I can shoot a wide shot and a close-up at the same time and I can do a punch-in, you know, to get it that way. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, but the framing's not what I want, and I usually like the close-up with a little more goose to it, you know, yeah. so, but the thing is, now I'm eating my words, because when I shoot in 4K, and I need to do edits on these social media videos, he just, you know, bumps in to, uh, you know, 2X and, and, and cuts to that, and it, I am using it as a wide and a tight, basically, uh, so that when you edit through, you can remove any content you want, because I don't have an operator or any of this sort of thing, and it is easy, I gotta say. And I'm sort of shooting everything slightly wider than I would, which is disturbing because in, in my 16 by 9, I'm not getting exactly what I want, but then I can carve all these 1 by 1s and 4 by 3s and I don't know, 9 by 16s from that. Yeah. You know, Yeah, it's, I mean, in, it's the interesting. One yeah. yeah. The one advantage is people are vertical, so they, that they, they it's harder to get them into a rectangle, than it is into a vertical.
0: Yeah. A, so a single shot, easy. a single shot or a head is fine. But if you got two people, then you want to get to a mid shot on a vertical video. You, you're not really getting, Yeah, that. I know. <laughs> that's
1: and fine. that's me and Yen's doing stuff. So that happens to us a bit. Yeah. So then they got to, you got to shoot the wide shot, even wider, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, anyways, uh, look, so you have this conversation is insane. It's yeah. <laughs> just, to try to get two shots um, actually, I believe now with the new iPhone, when you take a photo, it takes it in, in super wide mode, wide mode and telephoto all at once, yeah unless you tell it not to you get three 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 shots of the thing
0: right, yeah, so you can then just choose which one or use them all, you know. It's, um, yeah, I
1: mean, I have to record the video that way, and then I just have wides and tights of everything.
0: It's coming back to that, like, you know, fix it in post thing, give me all the options, which is kind of something that I've, in the past, not really been a fan of. Like, when it's like, oh, let's just shoot it wide, and then we'll figure it out later. I'm like, no, I want to frame it and make a composition like this. But, you know, you can't really do that when you've got all these different delivery uh, options. You've got to kind of actually tailor the acquisition of the of the production to, if you know that these are your outputs, you you got to allow for it on the day.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, I, I've always said this, you know, if you're a one man band fixing it in post, fine, you got the time. But if you got to fix it in post with other people, uh, you know, when we would shoot a six to one ratio, if we were shooting on film stock, you didn't, you had to figure out what the hell you wanted to do pretty quickly. You know, you didn't, you only had six shots at every single thing you did. Uh, so now you know, so that made the editor's shot much easier. Now, if you dump 10 hours of video on them, now you, that person's got to sit through all that, you know, figure out what's good. And when you're doing a documentary, that's that's a lot of footage, man. So you got to decide, pick your poison, you know, give you, pay, have a high editorial bill or get a little more organized and plan out your shoot better. I would go for the first.
0: So, speaking of documentaries and throwing money down the drain on uh, shootouts, is there anything? Is there? Any, do you think you'll do another shootout again, or is there anything excites you that make would make you want to want to do that again? And yeah,
1: well, there's nothing inside of me that would want to do that again, but there is talk of another one going down. Cool. <laughs> I don't, It's a big job, man. I mean, it's a. It takes like. See, the problem now with doing it is, it takes like four. Uh, six months to do a proper production like that. Right. You know, there's a lot of elements happening. You know, you've been on one. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, by then we've got 10 new cameras that came out, you know, so it's like I got to figure out when to do this thing so that I can have at least like a four month production schedule, you know, from, from start to finish. And, and not have two new cameras come out in this, uh, concept that they have for a shootout. Get, yeah, one is in the making.
0: Yeah, cool. I mean, I guess an the best time... One. Yeah, an anniversary, 10-year anniversary, right? I, I, I It guess is.
1: It's an anniversary shootout.
0: The best time to do it is when there's a bunch of new cameras that have just come out, because then you know you've got the maximum time before the next trade show or the next, you know, big announcements.
1: So, I mean, but, we used to have six years. Yeah. So we were like good. <laughs> we were good for a while, man. It wasn't like but I mean, I think three cameras came out in the last three months.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a big uh, uh, this. The end of this year has been a big, a uh, lot of announcements. And Canon, if there's a rumor now that Canon have got another uh, camera coming out, which is an RF mount, uh, changeable lens, kind of based on what it looks like from the images, like on the little XC10, you know, which is a one inch sensor, but with the new. Uh, lens mount so there'll be something else coming down the road maybe but um oh yeah. my god crazy times go. crazy times yeah well um yeah. all right well I might leave it there and uh we'll just uh where, where's the people where best to find you on the internet com. yeah or they can email me
1: at steve at secudo
0: awesome and you can just find me uh on instagram at mick jones and uh thanks steve weiss for joining us today and we'll see you on the next one
1: You got it, man. Thanks
0: much. Clark Lane is produced by Filthy Look Films. You can find us on Instagram at Filthy
1: Look Films.